Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled The Aftermath was given by Darren Rounson on April the 11th. Welcome. We're going to, um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to, uh, or go to the side over here, but we have Bibles to the side. We're going to look at John chapter 20 um, in just a little bit. I want to give a little bit of an introduction. Um, last week was Easter, in case you weren't here or you forgot for some reason. We've been talking about it for some time. I know some of you are in New York having a nice time of your life. That's cool. Um, just kidding. But something significant happened 2,000 years ago. And in fact, something significant happens every year when we celebrate Easter. And when we remember Jesus resurrecting from the dead, I think the question for most of us, hopefully, or even maybe some of us aren't even asking this, is what now? What, What next? What do we do now that our Savior has actually resurrected? What, that's kind of the question I want to talk about today, is what, what now? Easter comes, and I think um, if you read the Gospels, they're pretty confused. The disciples are pretty confused. Their stories, the Easter stories, are people getting the wrong end of the stick. Mary thinks that Jesus' body has been stolen. Peter sees the wrappings of Jesus' linen, and, and he just doesn't get it. Angels come and question Mary, and she just doesn't have a clue. And it says the disciples didn't understand Scripture. And then Mary sees Jesus, doesn't recognize Him, thinks He's just a gardener. And then she tries to hold on to Him, and He's like, no, you can't do that. You, you You can't get any more confused in the few paragraphs of the New Testament. Something was going on, and the truth is this Easter explodes into time, matter, space. It erupts into real history, into real lives. And it's funny because the disciples are puzzled. And at one, one kind of fact, and I think this is funny, is that the puzzlement actually creates kind of a truth and allows the story of Easter to be even more authentic than having it all figured out. You see, uh, if someone was making up this story a generation later, you wouldn't include all the details. You wouldn't talk about the linen being folded up where Jesus' head was. And you definitely wouldn't talk about people not recognizing him when he was resurrected. Mary's confused. On the road to Emmaus, uh, people are, these disciples are talking to Jesus for a while and they don't even recognize it was him. Why would you include those details in the story of the resurrection? And I think what's important, too, is that the Christians weren't prepared for the resurrection. They weren't expecting it. And one agnostic scholar writes that, I'm going to quote him, uh, he's one of the leading agnostic scholars. He says, um, it looks as though they were struggling, the disciples were struggling to describe something for which they didn't have adequate language. The story of Easter is God raising Jesus from the dead. But the story doesn't start there. But Easter becomes this pilot project. It becomes the first of the new creation. Jesus becomes the first of the new creation. And it explodes into that morning. And and we live now in this interval time where Jesus is resurrected. And there's a time coming when he's going to fully restore everything and transform it, for, form it once and for all. He's going to do the extreme home makeover. 
But we've kind of hidden this story because we don't understand it. It's like we've bottled up the sea and we've tried to contain what's happened and so the church has trivialized it. We've made the Easter story the end, the little happy ending. And what do we do? We say, well, well he's resurrected. That, that just means, you know, we have eternal life. Or, or we, you know, um, there is actually life after death. We're, go- we're going to heaven. That's what we've made Easter to be. But if you were a, a first century Jew, resurrection was never about going to heaven. Let me say that again. Resurrection was never about going to heaven. And for a Jew in the first century, resurrection was about the physically dead being alive again. I love this because um, some of the Jews, but not all, believe God one day, and this is found in the Old Testament, would resurrect all people. They were not expecting one person in the middle of history to be resurrected. They were expecting when God would come once and for all, everyone would be resurrected that was dead and he would restore his new kingdom and those that followed God would be with God and those that didn't would be somewhere else. The followers of Jesus were not expecting him to be resurrected. But as church members, as people that have grown up in the church, we just kind of accept it. Because we think it has everything to do with a ticket to heaven. And it does. But it's so much more than that. And what's funny too is that in the first century and centuries before, a Jewish person would would put their faith behind these would-be messiahs. You see, there was tons of them. And what would happen is these, these Jewish people would, would get behind the revolution and they would follow these would-be messiahs to, to fight the battle against the Greeks, against the Romans, against various oppressors. But most of the time, these messiahs would die. And, and what you realize if you followed one of them is that you just put your, your eggs in the wrong basket. You messed it up. And so you had a choice. If this would-be Messiah died, you would simply say, well, I either give up the revolution or I find the next leader that's supposed to be the Messiah. But you would never say in a million years, our Messiah resurrected from the dead. That was not an option. What happened on Easter Sunday? Now, I was in India a few weeks ago, and I shared this story, and it was, it was interesting because I was asked to give the gospel message. There were six other pastors, all of them, you know, been around in church a lot longer than me and have taught a lot more, and, and they all said, hey, why don't you do it? And it's, it's kind of uncomfortable to preach in front of a couple thousand people with two different translators and really not understanding a thing. So I, I had to write this message, and it was the most frustrating thing, and I'll just confess I've really complicated the gospel message. So I was sitting one night before I would have to preach the next day. I, di- I didn't have that prepared. And um, I-, I was thinking, okay, what's the gospel? So I'm reading Romans. I'm reading Galatians. I'm reading Ephesians. And, and the-, the-, the student in me is just making this thing, this massive, this is the gospel, the good news. And it's massive. Paul will use the gospel to help uh, married people be better at marriage. He'll say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's the gospel. He'll use it for instruction. So it's this massive thing, and I've just, I honestly complicated it. And I thought, well, if I've complicated it, I wonder if other people have complicated it. So what I did 
was I just wrote the story, the big story. And I want to share that with us because I think this morning, before we get to John, we have to recognize that the resurrection of Jesus, God saw it coming. We didn't. But it's part of this epic story. So I'm just going to give you some notes on, just most of us know this. And then we'll look at John, and then we'll close on, what do we do now? So the story begins with this, chapter 1, creation. And honestly, I would encourage you even to have some type of basic understanding of the gospel. Because more and more, this city, our friends that don't know Jesus, they need to know the narrative. They need to know the story of God. And most of us don't know how to tell the story. We wouldn't even know where to begin. And, part, and we'll get to the end where our story becomes a part of it. So chapter 1, creation. God creates mankind. He creates all of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's called creation, chapter 1. And, and, and in this story, you see God just speaking life into existence. And he gets to a point where he says, let's make man in our image. And he creates humankind. And he does something unique in chapter 2. He's created all the, the, um, the heavenly realms first. And then he creates all the creatures on earth. They're all made of physical things, and he does something unique for us. He takes dirt from earth, and he breathes, the word is ruach, it's it's a word for spirit, wind, and breath. He breathes his life, his spirit, into the dust that he formed, and he creates mankind. So man is essentially fully physical and fully spiritual. We are the only beings of all of creation that rest in both. So we are created to be Uh, We are created in the image of God, and so we're created to be in relationship with Him. I talked about this last week. I'm not going to go into too much detail. But we're created to live in harmony and intimacy with God. That's chapter 1, and we do that. Chapter 2 of this epic story is called The Fall. In Genesis chapter 3, we talked about this in the beginning of, uh, of the nature of sin. Mankind chose their freedom and their right of choice to go a different path than what God intended them to live. And because they chose that path, there was a barrier that was immediately placed in between our perfect relationship with God. That's called sin. right? How many of you guys know this story? Sin created a barrier that we were no longer um, to be in right relationship with God. Chapter 2, the fall comes. And so what happens? Sin enters into the world, and it's like an infection. It brings shame. It brings guilt. It brings fear. It brings hiding. And it brings corruption of not just humanity, not just intimacy with each other or intimacy with God, not just intimacy with ourselves. We no longer see ourselves the way we're supposed to. It brings corruption to all of creation. Romans will talk about the earth groaning for justice. Chapter 2, sin enters into the world. We're separate from God. And the world is devastated. And so we see the effects today. Sin We see corruption. We talk about systems and praying for our schools. Well, there's corruption there. Systems are are, are attacked by what's inevitable. And then chapter 3 happens in this great story. It's called the mission of God, the missio dei. And I, I think we miss this when we just pick apart the Bible. You see the entire Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament has this massive theme. And it's God's mission for us. What is His mission? It's to restore to renew, redeem, and reconcile all of creation to Himself. I talked about this last week too. And you see this in the Old Testament. What what does God do? Well, He pulls out this guy named Abraham. And He says, I'm going to create a nation of, of priests. 
I'm going to create a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. I'm going to create a nation that's set apart over all of the other nations and they'll represent me on earth. And so he chooses Moses. Later on, he'll choose prophets and priests and kings, all of them to represent God in the, in the, in the hope that those people, those individuals, that law, the Ten Commandments, Leviticus, that will somehow separate my people so that I can be restored to my people. Moses takes the um, Israelites out of Egypt, brings the Ten Commandments, and what happens? There's a law that's put in place. And the law is simply a way for all of humanity to obey God's commandments so that they can be restored into right relationship. God creates a covenant with them. Are you guys following? God creates a covenant with them. And so you see in the sacrificial system that every time somebody messed up in the Jewish community, the Israelites, they would have to go to the altar and bring a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. So time and time again, every time you messed up in the Old Testament, in the old way, you'd bring sacrifices. The, the poor would bring doves because they couldn't afford bulls or lambs. But you, nevertheless, you'd, you'd have to use a, some type of offering to bring that before God and, and that would cover your sin. This was set up so that they could be set apart, that they could be holy, that they could be right with God. But what, what was inevitable is that system was temporary. Time and time again, God's mission of restoring would have to be restored a day after day. So every time you messed up, you'd bring something new. And it was the Israelites that groaned for the Savior. They said, God, when will you send the one true lamb that will take away the sins of Israel? And so we hear the other part, chapter 4. Of Jesus. Jesus is part of God's mission. But Jesus comes as God in flesh. And I told this story last week, so we don't need to go into too many details. But Jesus is the fulfillment of this hope that all things would be restored, renewed, reconciled, and redeemed. And so what happens? He lives a life. And if you follow Jesus, Jesus around in the New Testament, you see what is he doing? He's healing the sick, he's giving sight to the blind. He's restoring sight. He's actually saying, I forgive your sins. He's creating reconciliation to God's people. He's talking about God's kingdom, His reign. He's just embodying all that stuff. And eventually, He becomes the one true Lamb that takes away the sins of the world on the cross. And you know that story. I don't need to go any further. Hopefully, we know this whole story. But chapter 4 of this story is where the church kind of ends for most of us. We kind of tell the story and we end it in chapter 4. It becomes our little happy ending. Yep, Jesus resurrects from the dead. He gives us freedom. We, we just have to believe in Him and then we have a ticket to heaven. Awesome. Done deal. We're done. Can't wait till that eternal life starts. Can't wait for eternity to happen. Right? We think that's the good news. Well, that's not where it ends. Chapter 5 is called the church. Jesus, in all four gospel accounts, takes his disciples. Once he's resurrected, he commissions them. He sends them out. And it's different in each gospel. But the church, chapter, uh, chapter 5, hold on, let me grab my notes. Um, 
Chapter 5, we've kind, of, uh, we've kind of missed what chapter 5 is really about. It's about the church. You see, God has somehow given us this mission to continue. Now, I want to look at it now in John chapter 20. So if you would, turn with me to chapter 20. I'm reading from the NRSV version, and we'll try to have that up next week. But the NIV is a great version, but I'm just going to read from mine. And I, I, I uh, encourage you just to bring your own Bibles. Make it your own. Um, something cool in the Jewish community Uh, the students of rabbis, they would have their own scroll of the Old Testament. And they would have to know where it was. There there were no verses. There was nothing. You just have your scroll and you go and debate and you talk about the the word, the Torah, the law of God. And I feel like there needs to be more than just iPhone apps and, and just the Bibles on the side. We need to know this Bible. We need to know this word. We need to become lovers of um, God's word. And so I, I'm going to read from my, my own Bible here. And it's chapter um, 20, verse 19. Jesus resurrects from the dead. And this, the early part of 20 tells you how confusing it was for the followers of, of Christ. Uh, it's funny because Peter and John, John writes this. And John is just hilarious. He's the youngest of the disciples. And you can tell he's just kind of youthful because the way he describes um, hearing from Mary that Jesus is resurrected, he's saying that he actually outrun Peter to the tomb. And even though he rests, Peter goes in first. He makes sure that you know three different times that John got there first. It's like hilarious. You think he's missing the point. And then Mary sees Jesus as a gardener. I love that imagery. One of the themes of John's gospel is that this is the new Genesis. John writes kind of showing you the new beginnings. Genesis means beginnings. And, And John um, is giving you the new Genesis. So why does it start off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God? Does that sound like Genesis chapter 1? Yeah. So in the same way, the first person to see Jesus thinks he's a gardener. What was Adam? He was a gardener. Do you think that's a coincidence? Absolutely not. This is theology. Je- John is saying Jesus is the new Adam. He's the first of the new creation. Let's pick up on verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 19. when it was evening on that day of the first day of the week and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So Jesus magically appears in in this locked room where all the disciples are. And the first thing he does um, is say, Peace be with you. This is a common phrase. It's, It's like saying, Nice to meet you. Have a great day. See you later. Goodbye. It's just a common phrase of blessing that the that the Jewish community would say to one another. So we shouldn't be startled or alarmed by him just saying, Shalom be with you. Just God's peace be with you. After that, excuse me, he walks in and he demonstrates that actually I am Jesus. I've I've got the marks to prove it. Here's my side. Here's my hands. He's revealing to his community that it's actually him. But then he does something else. He says, peace be with you again. Now, how many of you know that when anyone writes in the Jewish culture more than something more than once, it's a big deal? You're supposed to pay attention. The word peace is the word shalom. 
It means wholeness. It means it has to do with God's presence, God's security, um, God's anointing. It has to do with um, health and, and well-being. It has to do with God's salvation. It, it's this desired state of being with, in communion with God. And in the Old Testament, it was used all the time. This is what was desired for once and, once and for all, that God would one day bring His shalom, His peace to humanity. And it was as if that, that shalom represents Adam in the garden when God would walk with him. It's this massive word, and, and the prophets of the Old Testament would say that the Messiah would come and He would reign in peace. Isaiah says the Messiah will be the Prince of Shalom. God's peace would be with His people. This is what they were praying for. And in in the New Testament, do you remember in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, he sees baby Jesus. And he says, this is the Messiah. He's going to lead, guide our feet into the way of peace. It's the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. God's shalom is here. Jesus is not saying, hey, nice to meet you. Don't be afraid. He's saying, no, shalom is here. Wholeness is here. God's peace is here. When the angels come to the shepherds in, in Luke's gospel, they say that, that the, this Messiah, that, that, that He brings peace and that He ushers in a new era of peace, a new reign of peace. This is what long, this was what was expected, and this is what I love about John's gospel. He doesn't just say that God's peace comes, not just rest in the peace, but guess why we have peace. <clears throat> the only way we can encounter and experience this peace is through the Holy Spirit. So John says the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies happens when we receive the Spirit. Excuse me. But Jesus does something else that's awfully coincidental. Do you guys understand peace really fast? Do you guys get that shalom, that, that idea that it's not just a greeting? This is, this, is, this is the fulfillment of what was promised in the Old Testament. That the resurrection ushers in a, an era of peace, of reconciliation, of relationship. That's really what it's about. And Jesus then breathes on His disciples. Do you remember Genesis chapter 2? God takes clay and He breathes on this physical clay to bring life. He breathes His Spirit. The, the, the Hebrew word was ruach and it means breath, spirit, wind. The Greek counterpart is pneuma. It means breath, spirit, wind. John is saying that there is new life. New creation, and he's giving the account of what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus symbolically breathes on his disciples and says, Be filled with my Spirit. Receive me. And then there's, there's this crazy line. And it says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now this doesn't mean we have the power to forgive people's sins or retain their sins for not forgiving them. That's not what it means. This is a passive tense. The power, what's implied in this by John, is that we have the power of proclamation. 
that we hold the gospel story in our lives, that our Christian witness proclaims the power of the gospel. And what is the power of the gospel? To forgive sins. Who forgives? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God enables forgiveness of sins. That's what John's talking about. That's what his version of go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's Jesus, Jesus commissioning his church. Now, what, what is going on? Now, did you catch verse 21? As the Father has sent me, so I send you into the world. Chapter 5 of this epic story is the church. It's not written. 2,000 years of history, yeah, that's written, but it's not finished. Chapter 5 is where we receive the mission of God, where we are now sent by Jesus, who was sent by His Father, in the power of His Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel, not just with speech, but with our lives. And it's not just about proclamation, but it's about renewal. We partner with Jesus in the renewing of all things. I think chapter 5 um, for us, is this story. For some of you accepted Jesus for the first time last week. Some of you have yet to make a decision. Chapter 5 is saying, yes, I believe in this story. It's not just believing in Jesus that He took away your sins, but it's now taking on this new thing called the mission. It's being filled with the Spirit to go and partner with Jesus in the work that He has to do on this earth right now. Christianity has for too long said, let's make you a Hallmark card. We want, to, we want to make you a personality that looks very similar to the pastors of the church, the people that have it together. That is not what Christianity is about. Jesus wants to take you with your personalities, with your characteristics, with your strengths, with your passions and your gifts, and make you more yourself. He wants to take what's broken in your life and take that away and make you whole and live in peace. Jesus wants you to discover your story in this big story. That's what the gospel message is. It's that we now get to write the story of how this is going to play out. We know He's coming back, but are we going to be a part of the team that partners with Jesus to bring it back? Guys, this is why our church plants gardens. This is why we do beautiful displays of art. That's beauty. We have the gift now of restoring and renewing what, is not, what has been broken by, by sin to, on this earth. So we plant gardens as a way to reveal God's kingdom, to reveal His restoration of a broken community. Or we display a, a, a video of the prodigal son in a very artistic, very compelling way because that is the gospel. That's someone's gifts and personalities and God's using that to proclaim truth through individuals. This is, this is kind of a battle cry. This is a calling to come, come on board. It's a call to arms. The Garden Church will not be a Sunday church. Sometimes we're going to have to meet in homes. We're not trying to entertain. We're trying to round up the troops to participate in the work of the kingdom. It's not about a local church or just about Long Beach. It's, a, Long Beach, it's about the world. It's about renewing all things. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Is He still risen? He is. He's still risen. Man, chapter 5, and I think, I, oh man, I was, um, when I came back to the faith, I was in college, and I kind of wandered and studied different religions. And when I came back to the faith, I became like those diehard street evangelists. Bible in my hand, track card, million dollar bill. Hey, what would you do for a million dollars? Like that whole thing, for those of you that have been in the church. I was in Newport last night, and I just saw someone with a board that was like, love is on this side, and there's a, a gap, and Jesus, they drew the cross, and I used to do that. And it, I don't think it's as effective today as it maybe it was a few years ago, but still, it's, it's great that people are, are proclaiming. But I used to scare people into the story of Jesus. What are you going to do when you die? That's not the story. The story is, what are you going to do now? Do you want to be fully human? Because the only way to do that is to be filled with the power of God, and that's the Spirit of God. Do you want to be more like yourself? That can only happen if you become more like Jesus, in how He wants you to become like Him. There's not this class, this program, this grid of saying, this is what every single disciple looks like. No, not at all. It's discovering you in the reflection, reflection that Jesus says and what He says over you. It's discovering you in your belovedness. So chapter 5 is an adventure. It's the invitation to help write the story. And, and you know, I wonder... I, I think, I think this is kind of what it's like. And forgive me if this is cheesy. Sometimes I tell cheesy stories. It's just me. Um, extreme Home Makeover. Who watches that show? Dude, seriously, I think I cry more in that show. Because it's seriously, it goes something like this if you haven't seen it. Here's a family who lives in horrible living conditions. But it's not just horrible. Uh, apparently it was it burned by some, at some point in a fire. A tornado hit part of it. Uh, and their kid had something happen to where he lost something. And, and their business went down because of the economy. I mean, it's just like it's going lower and lower and lower. And it just gets you to the, the ground. There, here's the bedroom with 60 people living in it. There's one bathroom. There's, there's pigs that they eat. I mean, it's just bad. But people live like this. And, and Ty um, and his team, they just go around and build these homes. And, and what I love, because I think this is the perfect illustration for what it's like today. Sometimes um, they knock it all down. And they say, we've got to start from the beginning. But when I, what the ones I really like is when they, they break it down to the, to the foundation of what it was intended to be. And they build this magnificent home. And, and it just, it's, that's where all the tears come out. You, they're, they're on a vacation. The family's away. They come back. And these people have, like, just amazing things. The guy that has a wheelchair has, like, all the electronic things that help him out by himself. They give him college education. It's just, like, one thing after another. You're like, oh, my gosh, not that, too. You know, and, and that. It's just, like, <laughs> I seriously cry all the time in that. Um, but, but what's cool is they get volunteers to build the home. They're construction workers. They're not, some of them are professional, absolutely. We, be, we become professional, but they build on the foundation that was set. And so for us, we're part of the team. Jesus has the, the major plan. He has the foundations here. We can see where truth and life and existence is flourishing, where the kingdom is real. But we get to put on the hard hat and go to work. Whether that be by serving at the rescue mission, 
whether that be planting some seeds in the community garden, whether it be doing random acts of kindness or praying for the city, it doesn't matter. You are on the extreme world makeover. And forgive me for being cheesy, but that's what it is. So, what do we do after Easter? Well, we look in the mirror and we see what God sees in us. We find our place in this massive story with five chapters that's not finished. And we begin to partner with Jesus who sends us out into the world, not into little churches that meet in nightclubs, out into the world where we're empowered by his Holy Spirit to renew all things. That's what we do. So the question today for you is that we're going to wrestle with and celebrate is what team are you on? Where are you in the story? Do you see yourself with a hammer that's building? Or are you just sitting? It's a ticket to heaven, absolutely. But what I've learned now is eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts right now. So what are you going to do with the power of eternity in your hands? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you indeed are risen. You are the resurrected Son of God, the suffering servant Messiah, and we claim you as our God. You are our God. And Father, you started a work thousands of years ago to restore everything and renew everything. And you sent your Son. Lord, thank you for sending your Son so that we not only have life with you, but we get to work alongside you. More of you, Jesus. Just pray more of you. Hey guys, I wanna I wanna do something. Would you just would you guys all stand with me for a moment? We're gonna continue to worship, but sometimes we just feel and sense maybe God moving um, in a really specific way, and it's not anything unusual. We're not gonna do anything weird, but I just wanna invite you to close your eyes and maybe just hold your hands out. This is just a sign of just wanting to receive. We just read. And John, that Jesus breathed onto his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul talks about continually being filled. It's not that it, happened, it just happens once and that's it. No, every day we wake up, we want to be filled. And I just want to pray that over us. Just wait a moment for the, for the Lord's Spirit. I think a lot of us um, are being hit with this message. And I also think that there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of fear. So just close your eyes and listen to my voice. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit and we'll just continue to worship. Come, Lord, more of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. More of your spirit. Lord, we just invite your spirit to move right now. Just fall upon us. Just fill us up. Lord, I pray for just a fresh pouring of your spirit right now on all of us. Jesus, as you sent your spirit 
in the New Testament. Would you send your, send your spirit now? Just breathe upon us. And we just wait for it, God. We just wait for you. I just want to pray over all of us um, what I've, I kind of sense. Lord, would you release in us gifts of your spirit to build your kingdom? Would you give us gifts of your spirit to build your kingdom right now, Jesus? And also, Father, I just pray that we would be filled with your spirit to be missionaries to the places we live. Right now, would you give us hearts for the cities we live in, hearts for people? Would you give us calling? Would you give us confidence in the story of the gospel? Lord, I pray for uh, just more of your spirit to fill us, that we would be bold, outrageous, courageous Christians on fire for you, Jesus. Right now, just release in us any fear, any, any desires that are not of you, any expectations that are not of you. Allow us to just come before your throne and receive whatever you have for us. So we come right now, Jesus, ready to receive, to worship you as a living God. We pray this in your name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, please visit us on the web at thegardenlb.org.